Um, Hebrews 11, verse number one. Amen. All right. Let me see here. Let me do a reset here. <clears throat> and then we're going to move on. All right. Let's see. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Uh, all right. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm able to see that we are live. Amen. All right. Well, let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you. We give you praise. We give you honor, Lord, for this opportunity to get into your word tonight. Father, we take this time to pause and just say thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for bringing us through the day. Thank you for your grace, God. Father, we pray that as we get into your word tonight, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in the midst of us. You said, Lord, where two or three are gathered in your name. There you are in the midst. So, Father, we thank you, regardless of the, the number of people, whether great or small, God, we thank you that your presence is here. And we believe that we receive your presence by faith in the name of Jesus. Now, we pray, Father, that you would lead and guide us tonight. Reveal and unveil your word to us. Let revelation knowledge flow freely, unchecked and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic force. I pray, Lord, that you would at least speak through my vocal cords and think through my mind. I pray, Lord, none of me and all of you for articulation of your heart, for the gifts of the Spirit to be in manifestation and operation. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Everyone in agreement did say amen. Let's make this confession of our faith. Say, Father, I've come to receive revelation, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding from your holy word. And I fully expect the Holy Spirit to bear witness with my spirit concerning revelation of the word and how to apply it in my life on a daily basis. Amen. Everybody say, welcome to church. Good morning. Good evening. Amen. Praise Lord. Amen. Hebrews 11 and verse number one. We have been talking about for uh, the since last Sunday, essentially, this new subject, which is an old subject which is that of faith. My assignment for the next couple of weeks is to minister what I call really a faith refreshers, faith refreshers. If you look at some of the issues and some of the things that we're faced with in our community and in our world, I think that this assignment is very timely. You know, as you go to the gas pump and you see how the prices are going up, that might change, but your God has not. When you see the inflation of some issues in regards to maybe clothing and food, that goes up, but your God has not changed. He says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in order to receive the promises of God, it becomes important that we understand this, un, uh, this concept regarding faith and what it is and how to operate by faith. And so that's where our assignment lies for this season right now during this faith refresher. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number one, we looked at this on Sunday, we're gonna pick up here. It says, now faith is, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is, now faith is. We said on Sunday as well, that faith is always in the now, it's active. If you're talking about I used to have faith, that means your faith ain't is. <laughs> 
which means your faith no longer is active. One of the things that we have to make sure we do is that we don't take our faith off of the field. So when we say we're believing God for something, don't allow your mouth to cancel out what your faith, what you said your faith is saying. So continue to say what God said. Let your faith stay on the field. You might not see anything right now. You might not see manifestation right now. Keep your faith on the field and continue to believe that it's working even when I don't see anything in manifestation. Faith is. I believe that I receive it now regardless of what I see. Now it also says it is the substance indicating to us that faith is a substance. It has a Two components to this substance. Faith is comprised of hope and it's comprised of evidence, comprised of hope and comprised of evidence. And as I said to you on Sunday, I love to get to the evidence part. He says faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We spent a lot of time, if you ever taught faith, on the evidence part. And we will talk about that. But one of the uh, things that God really just dropped in my heart to do particularly right now is to slow down on this compound. Faith is hope and evidence. It's hope and evidence, just like water is H2O, hydrogen and oxygen. I keep saying oxide for some reason, but it's oxygen. You do not have water if you don't have the hydrogen, the two, and the oxygen. And so it is, you do not have Bible faith, according to this scripture, if you do not have hope and evidence. Hope by itself is not faith. But hope is important. It is an important component of our faith. And I think sometimes we gloss over it, those of us that teach faith, because we want to get to to leaning on the promises of God. And that's vitally important that we do lean on the promises of God and look for the evidence concerning the promises of God. But everything still, it, hope, if you will, is the spark that gets you to the position where you are looking for the promises of God. And one of the things that God dropped in my heart is that there are so many people that are infected with hopelessness. And I use that term very strategically, infected with hopelessness whereby you don't even come up to the start line to seek God for the evidence because you haven't gotten hope in its proper seat in your life. And so what do we say hope is? Hope, again, as we see on our outlines, is an aspiration of the good. It is an aspiration of the good. It is a righteous ambition. It is a righteous dream. It is a righteous yearning. It is a righteous longing, a righteous craving, if you will, for good. Hope is something we said as well. It is the natural disposition of a man. Again, when we are born into this world, we're born full of hope that we can do this, that we can be that, that we can become this. And little by little, if you are in the wrong environment, that hope can be stomped out of you. Now, when you are a born-again believer, though, your heart changes on the inside of you. The Spirit of God moves in on the inside of you, and he begins to rearrange things. Now, one of the things that's particularly interesting about this is that if you get born again at an early age, then God has a way of being able to mature you in a different way. See, a lot of people like to give their life to the Lord when they get old. Give God kind of their leftovers. But I believe you should take your yoke upon you when you are young. 
Thank God for young people giving their hearts to Jesus so that God can use their whole life and not just the leftovers, if you will. Now, praise God that God can use the leftovers. You get saved when you're 40, praise God. You get saved in your 30s, praise God. But we want to see, particularly in our church, we want to see six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds come to the Lord early, early ages. Amen? Hope, though, again, if it is undisturbed, it just naturally is on the inside of you. When you get born again, hope begins to rise on the inside of you. It is the natural position, disposition of a person. And he says again, Hebrews uh, 11 verse 1. Now watch this out of the Amplified. It says, now faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for, for the divinely guaranteed. He says the title and the deed, the title and the deed of things hoped for. It is the aspiration of good. Now watch this. Let's look over, if you will, back over at Psalms 33 and verse 18 through 22 out of the New Living Translation. It indicates and it says this, but the Lord watches over those who fear him. Those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. Who does he keep alive in times of famine? Those who fear the Lord. I think we should just meditate on that. I can see a lot of that. Stop and meditate. So in times of famine or when times of the earth, things are changing, he says, but the Lord watches over those who fear him. Be one of those people that fear the Lord. And you are guaranteed that God is watching over you. You have a reverential fear for the Lord. So regardless of what I see that's going on in the natural, God, I serve you. I worship you with my life. And I have an expectation, Lord, that you're watching over me and my family at all times. And you rescue from death and you keep them and keep us alive in the midst of a family. So, Father, I thank you that I believe for my family that you keep us alive in the midst of a family. Amen. And verse number 20, watch this. He says, we put our hope in the Lord. So the people that fear the Lord out of a reverential fear are people that put their hope in the Lord. The aspiration for the good that we have derives from the fact that we place our hope in God first. Not in your money, not in your bank account, not in your car, not in what you have. You place your hope first in God. As we continue on this journey talking about faith, I'm going to show you how faith really is a relationship word and not a religious word. We place our hope in God. That means that you got to get to know God to indeed have hope in him. That's one of the issues that a lot of people have. They don't really know God. They've heard about God, but they don't know God. They've heard religious things about God, but they don't know God. And therefore, it becomes difficult for you to put hope in a God you really don't know. How can I hope in him? I don't know him. And therein lies the issue. Now, notice it says, we put our, verse 20, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. I can put my hope in you, God, because you are my help and you are my shield. He says, in him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. There is a name that's above every name. At the name of Jesus, everything must bow. So now, when you begin to get more information about who God is, 
then it becomes easier for you to begin to place hope in him. Placing hope in him has everything to do with first believing that he has a heart for you. He says, in him our hearts rejoice. How can my heart rejoice to him? It rejoices in him because I have a healthy affection for who he is. He says, verse 22, let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Now, that's one of the issues that a lot of people have. We have split hearts. We say we trust God, but in reality, we trust God and we trust this job. We trust God and we trust somebody else's ability to catch us if we fall. And one of the things that God begins to do in our lives is he begins to strategically separate certain things, certain safety nets so that you only see him. So when certain things begin separating, or people don't respond as quickly as they used to, or you can't figure out why is this going on, maybe perhaps you're in the midst of a time where God's saying, I got to peel this back, push that back, because I only want you to see me, because I'm developing you for where I am calling you. Now watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5 and verse 21 says, for he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, one of the things I want you to understand as well when we're talking about uh, our hope is in the Lord is that we should never, never a righteous person should never envy sinners. Our hope is in the Lord. So we shouldn't be looking at the lives of sinners and be envious of what they have, because the reality is you are much better off than you think you are at times. One of the things that the devil does in our lives is he tries to convince you that going back to becoming the sinner that you used to be is a better life for you. It's a better option. But one day in the house of the Lord is better than a thousand days on the outside of his house. The scripture says this, the hope of the righteous out of Proverbs 10 and verse 28, the hope of the righteous shall be gladness. The hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. Now, the New Living Translation uses this same scripture. It says the hope of the godly results in happiness. The, re the results of the person that places hope in God and they are a godly person is always going to get you to the position of happiness, even when sometimes you feel like it's not. And so we as righteous believers, those that reverentially fear the Lord should not be looking at sinners and envy what they have. Because reality of the fact is you don't really know what's going on on the inside of somebody that doesn't know God. This is something that, that, that always strikes me. You never really know what's going on with people. Some of the people that you really think got it together because they may financially be in a different spot than you, you don't know what's going on in their house. Some people that you think really got it going together because they got the job perhaps you want, you really don't know what's going on with them. And so we got to be very careful about moving into this area. You know, really, when we're talking about envy, we're really talking about a sin. Envying what somebody else has, it, it has a root back into the ba basic commandment of thou should not covet thy neighbor. So I shouldn't be looking at my neighbor saying, you know, oh, I just wish I had what they had. God can take care of you and your family. God can take care of you and your children. God can get you your own things and you should never be envious of anyone. Amen. 
Now, let's keep going. I want you to notice this. Our hopes are all limited by our capacity, not God. Our hopes are limited by our capacity and not God. Now, look at this over in Mark chapter 9 and verse 23. Mark chapter 9 and verse 23. Scripture says this. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Now, Jesus just showed a great miracle here contextually in Mark chapter nine. But I want to just kind of pull this out here. And I want you to notice, he says, if you can believe, if you can believe all things are possible to him that believeth. So it must be the, the opposite is that things, all things are not possible for the person that doesn't believe. So the believing has everything to do with you that allows the impossible thing to be possible for you. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believe. If you don't believe, then you limit the capacity of God within your own life. Let's look over here at Luke chapter 1 and verse 37. This is Mary speaking after the Gabriel, the angel Gabriel tells her that she's getting ready to have an impossible situation in her life. Verse 37 says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. The dream that you have, you might not know how it's going to come to pass. But that's not your job to figure out all the details. Your job is to do the believing. He says, if you can believe all things are possible. He didn't say, if you can believe, figure it all out yourself. No, that's where faith comes in. I see the dream. He said, believe it. That's your job to believe what he said. He said the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So God's going to be involved in the steps that you take. And every step that you take will require faith. And that's the reason why he doesn't show you everything, because there's something that happens on the steps. You are transformed on the journey of faith. He says, you can have it if you can believe it. I'm going to show you something in a seed form. I'm going to show you something in the beginning. And he says, are you willing to believe? If you can believe all things are possible for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now watch this. Ephesians chapter three and verse 20. Ephesians chapter three and verse 20 is also on your outline. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Notice how Paul says this out of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. He says, now unto him. He's talking about God. That's able to do exceedingly. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Above all. Yes. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He says that we ask or think. Ah, we got a caveat here. God can exceed my asking and my thinking. So once again, it seems to me that if I have limited thinking and I have limited asking, then I'm limiting God's ability to exceed that in my life. 
How many times is it that God places us in a position where he just wants to expose you so that your thinking capacity begins to grow? Sometimes, I see this, sometimes some people that work at the airlines, I had to figure this out myself, you're working there for a season because God wants to expose you. And you can't make that be the thing that you're doing. He said, I wanted to expose you so that your thinking capacity would grow so that when you start asking me, I can exceed that. When you start asking me, your thinking capacity has been exposed so that you will start asking in accordance with my will. So he says, now unto him that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Now notice this out of the uh, New International Version of the Bible. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or more than we uh, than we all ask or imagine. Do I have caps on my imagination? Do I have caps on what I believe God can do in my life? Maybe we've located an issue where your hope is concerned. You say, well, they, God can do this for this person. Well, God can do that for you. The question is not whether or not he can. The question is, can you believe for it? Now, notice this. Ask or think. The word think there comes from a Greek word that literally means to exercise the mind. Observe. It literally means to comprehend. It means to heed to consider, to perceive, to think, or understand. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above what you ask and what you're able to comprehend. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above of what you're able to ask and what you're able to exercise and observe with your mind. Now, watch this. We've read this several times, but I want to give a different point of view in regards to this scripture. Look at it here at uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. Romans chapter 12 and verse number two, it says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Watch the term by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, most of the time when we read that, we think, yes, amen, preacher. That means I got to have more scriptural uh, memorization. And that is a part of, don't get me wrong now, because we need to get the word in our heart. But the renewal of the mind is an interesting thing. The word renewal literally comes from a Greek word, which means revival, restoration, rehabilitation, resurrection, and recovery. A recovery of your righteous mind. In the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve did not have any caps on their thinking ability. Adam literally was naming all of the animals. He was classifying them. He was doing all of these things without a MacBook, a PC, or any of these things. He was classifying things. He had a brilliant mind. A righteous mind is an enlightened mind because it's connected to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God speaks on the inside of your spirit. He enlightens your thinking with wisdom and knowledge. The renewal of the mind is the recovery of your righteous mind. 
When you get your mind recovered, restored, rehabilitated, back to thinking in line with God's ability, now God is able to have you move into position because your asking and your thinking will be in line with his will. The renewal of the mind is not, again, yes, it is scriptural memorization because you got to get the word in your heart because getting the word in your heart has everything to do with you thinking in line with the way the kingdom operates. It also has everything to do with your thinking and the way you speak so that you can speak the way the kingdom speaks so that you can have communication with God and know how he speaks to you. But it also has to do with the expanding of your mind so that God is able to inspire your thought life. Even within my own job, I had to repent last week because I was spending a lot of time trying to do my job to the best of my ability. Watch that. My ability the way I saw it done by somebody else. And one of the things that the Lord just kept dropping on the inside of me, and I had to just, just flat out repent, is that I didn't put you in that position to do it the way they did it. I put you in that position to do it the way I'm leading you to do it. So that I can get glory out of you in the position, not so that it's any other reason for any other source, but I want to do something through you. The reason why God wants your mind renewed is because he wants you to become thinking or become one with him so that your your mindset is in line with his will and his purpose for what he wants at the job that he gave you. Now, let's keep going. Renewing of the mind is for the restoration of your kingdom mindset. Now, the scripture tells us over in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 through 5, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds. Well, what is a stronghold? It is a way of thinking that is in contradiction to the word of God. It is a way of thinking that's fortified in your life where God says this, you say that, and you defend your position instead of repenting and receiving what he wants for your life. A lot of us, we got strongholds in our life. Our parents taught us this. Mama and them taught us this. Daddy and them taught us this. Or we learned this hanging out with the girls at school, the boys at school. We hang and we get a mindset of how things ought to be. And that limits God's capacity within your life if you don't bring those walls down. The Holy Spirit began knocking on those walls in your life saying, I need you to bring that down because I can't bring that down for you. I need you to change the way you think in this area. He says, our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every notice the term high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Casting down, you got to cast down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. In the, in, in you say, when she does this to me, I should respond that way. God says, respond this way. I got to cast down the way I used to think to receive the kingdom's way of thinking. So I said, Lord, no, I'm not going to do that. I cast that thought down in the name of Jesus, and I'm going to do it your way, God. Now, <clears throat> faith is the anchor of the soul. Faith is the anchor of the soul. As I said before, we're going to spend some time talking in terms of the evidence part, but I'm, I'm homing on in on this area of hope because hope is the abstract. 
It is the aspiration to believe God. And I spoke again on Sunday in regards to this area that you cannot seek God and stay hopeless. The two cannot stay in the same heart. So if I'm in a point or position of depression, it also lets me know that I've not been really seeking God. I've not been seeking God. I've not been seeking. Let me say this as well. Take a little side journey here. You know, this is one of the reasons why God is looking for people that he can use so that when he tells you spend a little extra time here, go here, go there or do things my way, you are able to be light in darkness. And it's not just about you. There's a young man that I'm working with right now. When we first got started together, uh, he did something that was working my last nerve. But little by little, I found that my heart concerning him began to change the more I began praying for him. And I began to see some attitude things change at, at work where he's concerned. As, as I began praying for him, begin just being led of the spirit and not doing what my flesh wanted to do. God wants to use you to be his hands in the earth to maybe perhaps bring somebody out of depression because you show up in their life and your presence in their life comes with the presence of God. And you're just by being there are giving people hope that things can be better. Maybe that's the reason why God wants to use your marriage, because he wants to be at a point to your marriage and say that. It can be better in your marriage, sister. It can be better in your marriage, brother. Y'all fighting at home and everything. But you see, every time they hear that, this is the case for every other family, every other group, and they see y'all getting along, maybe they got hope that maybe God can do the same in their own house. You can't seek God and stay hopeless. You can't seek God and stay in a depressed state. You cannot watch this, seek God, and stay in a position of grief. This is one of the reasons why... You'll see perhaps at a funeral, particularly when a loved one that goes home to be with the Lord that died in the Lord. The Holy Spirit, if you will allow him, will minister to your heart regarding the future. That yes, you'll miss that loved one because you can't talk to him right now. But the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, which means that, yes, you can't talk to him presently, but you are assured that they are not just in your past, which is your memories, but they're also in your future if they're no longer in your current present. That gives you hope. And that's why we minister these things, particularly at a, at a funeral, because it, once again, hope begins to rise. I said again, and I say it again tonight, a hopeless man will disregard rules, laws, and even uh, self-preservation to get a relief. You, when you see people that are hopeless, you begin to see it manifest in their actions and what they do. Maybe they're doing some self-destructive things. Perhaps it's because they moved into an area of hopelessness. And when you begin to identify that, perhaps you found somewhere where God wants you to pray for them. I often said this before. If God allows you to see it, you need to start asking, why, God, did you let me see it? Did you let me see this thing to minister to it, i.e. go talk to them about it? Or did you allow me to see this so that I could pray for it and put this on my list? And maybe perhaps you don't go tell them anything. They don't know that you're praying for them, but God, you showed me this because you want me to pray for them. A hopeless man would disregard life and the value of others for relief, even from temporal, even if it's temporal or fleeting. Now, let me say this, and then we're going to close for this evening. How do I keep 
my hope alive. I feel Jesse Jackson, keep hope alive. How do I keep my hope alive? The first way that we keep our hope alive, because in fact it is a vital component in regards to our faith, as it's a, it's a compound, then it's important that we understand how do we keep our hope alive? Because sometimes you see things in life and contradictions of life, and man, they hit you and they hit you, and little by little, if you're not careful, you move into a position in which you are hopeless in that area of your life. So how do I keep hope alive? Number one is rest. Never underestimate the value of rest. If you recall the story of Elijah, Elijah essentially, he has this major victory for the kingdom of God. Man, they called down fire. And it wasn't just but a little while later that he's running away from Jezebel based on a threat hiding in the cave saying, I wish I wasn't here. Well, what happened? He hadn't rested yet. And sometimes you move into an area of hopelessness because you haven't rest. Hebrews 4 and verse 9 through 10 of the New Living Translation says, so there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. This word rest here literally comes from this word uh, or this term Sabbath, if you will, which is a rest from labors. It was made for man. It's a day of rest and refreshment, a day of rest and refreshment of the body and the blessing of the soul. This is why a lot of times we can, uh, we equate also going to church as a part of your Sabbath rest because it's an opportunity for you to feed your spirit, man. We all need a time in our life where we get a refreshment, where we get a break. This is what allows for your hope to stay alive and fresh. This is what allows maybe perhaps even in your marriage for your marriage to stay fresh because y'all sometimes you just need a break. You need a break from the norm. And one of the things I've discovered is that you got to schedule one in. You can't always assume it's going to happen. You have to schedule it in that I'm going to take a break. I've learned this and I'm learning. I am learning this. That sometimes, yes, the, the as, as you said, sister, the power of saying no. No, I can't do that right now. I'm sorry. Now, yeah, you just go, go ahead and get to getting mad because I can't do that right now. I got to protect my time of rest. I'm going and going and going and going and going. And I need to take a rest. And you got to sometimes just tell folks, no, I can't do that right now. I don't mean to disappoint you, but it's going to be a disappointment for you if you need me to be there because I got to take a rest. That's one way that we keep our hope alive. The next area, of course, which feeds with that is our spiritual life. Number two, spiritual life. Value your spiritual development and renewal. Value your spiritual development and renewal. Can't say this enough. When I see people and talk to them, I always say, you going to church? You going to church? Value going to church. Value the place where God has set for you to grow spiritually and to develop. To grow spiritually and to develop. It's, it's time. No, I'm, I got to go to church. I'm sorry. I got to go to church. That's, that's one of the things that God has placed in my life for me to grow. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 through 3 says, Like newborn babes, you must 
crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Cry out, he says, out of the New Living Translation for this nourishment. We should desire the sincere milk of God's word. We should desire the word of God. We should desire to learn more about who we are in Christ Jesus. Learn more about who God is from his revealed word. How do we keep our hope alive? Number three, a mindset. Become God inside minded. A mindset. Become God inside minded. First John chapter four and verse four says, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The greater one lives on the inside of you. And one of the things that happens is life comes around to tell you that you are nobody. You're no good. Did you not this? And he says that the greater one lives on the inside of you. So greater than what? Whatever the bills say, whatever sickness or disease that might be showing up in your life. He says the greater one than that lives on the inside of you. You say, well, I don't feel like when I pray that my prayer got past the ceiling. Well, son, your, your, your prayers didn't need to get past the tip of your nose because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. Become God inside minded. God inside minded. The greater one lives on the inside of me. I can't be defeated because he lives on the inside of me. I'm not going to quit because he lives on the inside of me. I'm not going to fail because he lives on the inside of me. And failure is not a part of who God is. So I will succeed. First uh, Colossians, I'm sorry, 1 and verse 27 says, to, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory, uh, 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 riches, rich of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, he says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Fourth way that we keep our hope alive, and I indicated this on Sunday, is making sure that you keep praise in your heart. Praise. Place a value on praise. Place a value on praise because praise is a, catal a catalyst of hope. It's the catalyst from which hope springs forth. Praising God does something for you. Praising God allows the hope that is on the inside of you to grow and stay flourish and fresh. When we say, oh, clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph, we're saying yes to give God adoration, to give him glory, but it also does something for you. Praising God through the midst of your issues, praising God through the midst of your trials. One, it allows you to remind yourself that the great one lives on the inside of me. The greatness of who God is, he lives on the inside of me and it begins to lift you up. Keep your praise before almighty God. Number five, how do we keep our praise? Uh, I'm sorry, how do we keep our hope alive? Number five, watch what you meditate on. Watch what you meditate on. Joshua 1 verse 8. Now I want you to notice this out of the voice translation. It says, let the words from the book of the law, we can transpose that to say the word of God, be always on your lips. He says, meditate 
on them day and night so that you may be careful to live by all that is written in it. If you do so, he says, as you make your way through this world, you will prosper and always find success. Perhaps I'm losing my hope because I'm meditating on more of the world things or worldly issues than I am the things of the kingdom of God or the word of God. Perhaps I'm spending more time watching the news and not watching what God has to say about issues. You know, God doesn't change at all. Yeah. What's going on in the world that does change. It does fluctuate. But Jesus does not change. His word doesn't change. The promises of God don't change. They don't need an adaption because of the current situation that we find ourselves in. And so maybe if I'm moving into a position of hopelessness, maybe I need to start checking how much time am I spending with God as opposed to watching the housewives of this? How much time am I spending with God as opposed to watching that channel, this channel, this thing, all of these other things that are depressing me? Number six, how do I keep my hope alive? Watch your physiological health your physiological health. Maybe you're losing your hope because of the fact you're not been caring for your body the way God has intended for you to do so. Some of the things, some of the attacks that are happening in the physical body of some folks has nothing to do with a satanic attack. It has to do with the fact that we've not been caring for our bodies the way God has intended for us to care for our bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20, out of the New Living Translation says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? So do not, so you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. How do I keep my hope alive? Take care of my spiritual life. Take care of my emotional life or my soul. And to take care also of my physical body. We are spirit, soul, and body. And so we can't neglect any part of this. How do I keep my hope alive so that I can get the evidence from the promises of God so they can produce faith in my life? I have to make sure I watch these areas in my life that I don't let the wrong stuff get on the inside of me that depress me that pull me into areas of grief so that I am moving away from even having the spark to look for the promises of God to connect with my hope so that I can produce faith. These things we need to do, not just Sunday, but daily. You understand that? Say amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, in the authority of the name of Jesus, Lord, we bless you and we bless you. We bless you. We bless you, Lord that you are our hope. We place our hope in you. We place our futures in your hands, oh God. We thank you, Lord, that regardless of what we see taking place in the natural world, even regardless of what we see maybe perhaps taking place in our families, God, we thank you, Lord, that we place our hope in you. You are our expectation of good. And we thank you, Lord, that the work that you began on the inside of us, God, you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, we just thank you that we submit our lives, our all to you, Father. And we thank you, Lord, that in our house, all is well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah.
Praise the Lord. Well, we thank you if you joined us live on Facebook or YouTube for our midweek Bible study. We're, of course, always available on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock here at the training center. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good. All right.